0: Welcome to MicroCollege, a podcast exploring innovative, place-based, and humanly scaled responses to the crises in higher education, meaning, and discourse in our time. Everyone knows that colleges and universities are at a breaking point. But what can be done? I'm Jacob Hunt, the director of Thoreau College, a micro-college in Verroca, Wisconsin. Join us each week as we tackle this question head on. Welcome to MicroCollege. This week, all the way from Denmark, we are very excited to have as our guest Jonas um, who is, yeah, from Denmark and a person who, who I connected with through the Folk School Alliance, um, the North American network of, of folk school organizations. Um, and yeah, I think it was, it was very exciting to connect with a young person. Jonas is, is a university student in Denmark, um, also a person who, is, who has had personal experience in the Danish folk high schools and other um, innovative forms of education in Denmark, um, and is, is part of an emergent movement around these ideas um, that, is, that is springing up. And so thank you for joining us today, Jonas.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I'm really excited about this.
0: Yeah, so this this um, interview, us is we're kicking off a series of interviews over the next few weeks um, with with people in different countries, different parts of the world, around these ideas of folk education, micro colleges, bildung, um, and um, and and just emergent kind of types of education for young people. Um, and you know, we we've had on our our podcast for those who've listened earlier in the year. Um, uh, Julie Shackelford, who is an instructor at a folk high school, the International People's College in Denmark. Um, So it's really exciting to have a person who's had a student experience. Um, but you know, for, for those who haven't heard uh, that, we'll be wanting to talk about, um, about what is a folk high school, what is it like, and, uh, and some of its history as well. But before we do that, um, everyone we have coming onto College onto the podcast, we'd like to ask them a bit about their biography. So typically, we ask someone, what were you doing when you were in your early 20s, right? Um, you're kind of still in that phase of life. So maybe could you tell us a little bit about your, your background, and, uh, and, and also, how it was you ended up participating in, in the folk high school? you participated in?
1: Right. Well, I come from a pretty rural place in Northern Denmark, um, and I was often a weird kid that would either have too much energy uh, or I would sit and read a bunch of books. And I was very much a nerd and didn't find many peers uh, there. I did, of course, have friends, but we just didn't share interests that much. Um, And then... At some point in tenth grade, I went to what is called an after school, which is sort of a folk high school for young people, uh, where you go and you live for one year. And it, the entire point is that you have normal school curriculum, but but the focus isn't there. The focus is on making friends, and that one year was pivotal for me. It, and it was like,
0: and how old were you? What, what year is this?
1: That that was in tenth grade, so I must have been sixteen. Okay. And, and
0: this is a boarding school. This is a, this is a, you go yeah, away and yeah. live away from your family with 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 people yeah. your age.
1: Exactly, exactly. And um, you, you do that for an entire year, which is it's quite normal in Denmark to do that. Um, like many people do it, and it's it's like a well known thing to do. Uh, and for me, it was it, I called it dog year because I grew about seven years in that one. There was so <laughs> much maturity and and development, and. Um, it, it just changed everything for me because I suddenly was close to people in a way I have never experienced before. I could suddenly meet different people that were more like me that I could talk deeply with. Like I, I had long conversations with my roommate until like four in the night um, and, and I, just, I found something there that was just really special and really beautiful um, and then I went to high school and very quickly I felt how I had been part of a different world And that made me decide that also at some point I wanted to go to folk high school because it's very much the same spirit. It's very much the same idea. The difference is on a folk high school that you have more freedom. uh, There's not a tight school curriculum. And you usually have some more opportunities to delve into stuff that you want to. So Mm -hmm. after after high school, uh, I saved up some money and then I... Had been introduced to a folk school, folk high school, very close to me, that had this uh, discount, so it would be really cheap to go there, and and I'd visited before and and I liked the place.
0: And what's the name, so, the name of this folk high school?
1: Oh, so V R A A, Um okay. and I started there in 2020, which, as you might imagine. <laughs> uh, uh, or as I imagine might be the first thing that comes up for you is like, oh, oh, that's your COVID hit. You're exactly right. So we started in January, and then in the beginning of March, the school actually shut down. Hmm. Uh, so I I was a bit cheated.
0: got a good, like, a, a, a comparison to, to be able to make from, from before the pandemic and then after. Yeah. Yeah. So can we, stepping back a couple of steps there, so um, one of the things I've found in talking about education and educational systems in different countries around the world throughout my career as a high school teacher and as a and and through this college project is that it's actually uh, people's, the structure, the schedule of, of school, of education seems like for many people, like the laws of physics, it's something that's very difficult to actually think in a different way. And so, I think one of the things that's very interesting about Denmark is both with the after-school and then with the the folk high school, you have two forms of alternative education, you could say, or alternative, at least from the perspective of, of the United States, um, that are just that are fully integrated. They are they're known, they're they're incorporated into the culture now for for a long, long time. I mean, the after-schools, did yeah, they go they back to the 19th century as well?
1: Yeah, yeah, they go far back too. I actually don't know uh, which one outlived the other. Uh, I'm not sure, but I would imagine that they're quite close in, in uh, origin.
0: So, w- w- with the in, in, here in the United States, there are um, there's a handful of of say high school semester programs. Um, there, there, for many years, there was one here in Wisconsin called the Conserve School that uh, students could go, they were there for, you know, it was focused on the environment um, during a year of high school, and it was, it was a transformative experience. I had a number of my high school students who did that, and they came back and they described things, many of the ways that, that you did, um, you know, this, this was a major watershed in their life. But these are very unusual places. They're, there's a, they're, they're sometimes quite expensive, and there's just not very many of them, and it's, it's um, not many people have had that experience. Um, but it, it seems like in, in Denmark, there that is a it's it's a common enough experience that that it's part of the vo- vocabulary about what it's like to go through high school. Is that right?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's it's like saying I'm going to high school. Yeah. Like it. Of course, it, it's more optional for you to go to after school or folk high school. But there's a lot of people who do it. I think after school, this is my 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 guesstimate, but I would say 60 to 70 percent of. Uh, ninth or tenth graders go there. Like, okay. It is very highly highly valued, uh, and then folk high school would be less, but I would still guess forty to fifty percent. Yeah, yeah. So I experience it some sometime throughout the twenties.
0: Yeah, uh, Lena Lena Rachel Anderson, who will be on the podcast in a couple of weeks, who's really written the book about about the folk high schools in English world at least. Um, her number was about a third, a third of people in Denmark uh, in each right. kind of annual yeah. cohort do the folk high school. Yeah, that sounds about right. So, I just for, for people, you know, for for our, our largely American audience, our, our audience, you know, is, is increasingly global, but a lot of them are from the U.S. Um, I mean, Denmark is maybe a country that they don't know too much about. Um, so, I just I wanted to just just to give people some context. I mean, Denmark um, has a population of about five and a half million people, um, which is about the same as the state of Wisconsin. Um, which is an average size Wisconsin, you know, American state. Um, the area of Denmark is about the same size as the Driftless region. It's comparable to, you know, so sub- considerably smaller than the state of Wisconsin. Um, and in Denmark, there are about 70 folk high schools is, is my understanding. Um, and so with, with, with every, every group of people coming through high school um, or you know, coming into adulthood, maybe up to a third of people doing this. So just thinking about the impact of this type of education on a, on a society of that size um, is, is pretty remarkable. And I think about, you know, about a micro college movement or, or, or something like this happening in, in this country. Um, it makes me really excited. But the example of, of what's happened in, in Denmark and the other Scandinavian countries as well. Um, is, I guess for, for people, um, you know, Denmark is also a country. It's important for people to know that on surveys of happiness, quality of life, well-being, all the sorts of markers of the health of the society generally shows up like literally number one, <laughs> one or two or three in any given year. Um, so yeah. you know, given our audience might not know anything that's more specific about Denmark, like what, what, would, you, what would you say to a person who needs to like what what people should know about Denmark, other than what I've said? Oof.
1: Okay, so first of all, we get a student salary. That means I'm actually paid to go to university, uh-huh. and and I'm I, I want to be clear about the numbers because it's actually quite important. And um, I would get something about between seven and eight hundred uh, U.S. dollars after taxes, and that would al- that allows me to actually have an apartment, have a budget for my, my food, and also have a little bit for doing fun stuff, which relieves me almost completely of financial stress. Mm-hmm. It's a tight budget, but it is manageable. And, and that, I think, is one of the, like, if you imagine the decisions that have to be made in a government for something like that to happen then you can start to understand some of what the Danish mindset is and what the values we have are. Because we th- we think it's so important that people, they get education, that the government is willing to invest in these people. And we want to give everyone just an equal opportunity to study. So it shouldn't be that because you're not financially secure from, from your childhood that then you can't go and do the study you want. You can do that. Here. Everyone is, is equally opportunity have equal opportunity for it and you like if you start university you're guaranteed to get this salary there's no doubt hmm.
0: so just to be clear we, we didn't kind of bring up to the present with your, your biography so you are currently in a student in the university there can you talk a, bit, a little bit about what yeah. you're doing right now and how that fits in
1: so at the moment i'm studying psychology i am on my second year of my bachelor's and it's it's been quite a change in worlds for me because i took 3 gap years uh, which is unusual for Danish people. Many people take one, many, many, many people take one, but not that many take more. Um, I spent some of that time, yes?
0: And going to a folk high school, is that, that you're considering that as part of the, the gap year?
1: Yes, okay. yes. So I, I spent one year at folk high school, and then spent one and a half years working to save up for the folk high school, and half a year for traveling, and now I'm here at university. And, and that was a big change in Wall Street because I'd been used to the the community and spirit of a folk high school and in I, I sort of dreamt that university would be the same you know a bunch of clubs and you know discussions that were really passionate and meeting people with similar interests and I have had that but not with the same intensity and companionship that I had expected and I think that was because i I was colored by my my folk full high school experience uh, yeah. but uh, in many other ways it's great it's fantastic because you meet some fantastically smart professors and you get to have your world opened up wide in more ways than I could ever have imagined so that is that's really really encouraging for me uh, to experience that and also to watch myself grow yeah. <laughs> specifically the psychology I could get uh, I could get some more understanding about what also happened at the High School uh, on a personal level but also on a more uh, community-based level because I'm really interested in that sort of stuff. Micro College is recorded in the broadcast studios of WDRT Viroqua 91.9 FM Driftless Community Radio on Main Street in Viroqua, Wisconsin. Thanks to Jim and all the folks at WDRT for the support of Thoreau College and the Micro College
0: podcast. Yeah, great. So um, thanks for bringing us up to date there. Um, I guess, so what you're saying about, you know, Denmark is a society which has in many ways prioritized education. And that can mean a lot of things, right? You know, back during the Cold War here in the U.S., that meant, you know, educating people in, in, you know, in engineering, basically, math and science, right? We're going to conv- compete with the Russians. Um, many societies, you know, education can be framed in lots of different ways. Um, what's interesting about about what's going on there in Denmark, to me, is that there's, there's a big chunk of, you know, the, this, of society, of, of, of young people going through education, uh, resources from society being put into this form of education, which is pretty explicitly not... Um, not quantitatively measured, right? It is It is. It's, it is framed in a different way. And I guess, and it has a particular language around it uh, that that I'd love to have you explain. But can you talk about, you know, from, from your position having done this and having now entered university where some people have, have done the folk high school and after school and some haven't, like what, how does, how does the society as a whole understand this education? What, what makes it, um, Uh, something that the society as a whole is is wanting to prioritize and invest in.
1: Do you mean education in general or do you mean the folk high schools?
0: Specifically the folk high schools.
1: Yeah. Well, I think it's generally understood that it is a place where you can go and be free from the the cogs and the gears of the otherwise quite... uh, and repetitive machine of setting up your career. And it, it's an opportunity for you to get out of that bubble and just take a step back, and much in the same way as if you weren't, you know, there's that, that trope of you go to travel to find yourself. And you can very much do sort of the same thing here because getting yourself removed from the cogs and then taking a breather and reoriented can maybe show you that you were heading in the wrong direction and maybe you should do something else. So that's like like the basic. Some of what is valued in terms of what people are learning at the schools is to refine the joy in learning. It is to simply just be bewildered and wondered and amazed at things without any purpose. So an important point to, to share here is that you don't get a diploma to go to these schools. It's not like something you can have on, on your CV necessarily. And there are also no curriculums, and there are no tests. You go to ceramics or to arts, and the teacher asks you, what do you want to do? And then they find out how they can help you experience that experiment and play. It's all about letting yourself be thrilled about learning discovering
0: new things again yeah so yeah so people um can get a clear picture of of what this experience is like maybe you could to take us back to to the beginning there of of um what what are the what is it like to to actually be in residence at, at folk high school and uh and what is what is the rhythm of, of life like there so first of all how, how many students were there in the school that you you were a part of
1: around 80. I think that's a pretty normal number. Okay.
0: And it's is it located, what kind of place is it located in?
1: It, it differs depending on where you are in the country. Uh, I, I assume that generally it would be in smaller towns mm-hmm. where you have sort of a local community and you have some shops, but it, it's not a big city and it's not completely removed from civilization at all.
0: Either. So when um, Julie Shackelford met with us talking about the International People's College, which for, for people who didn't hear that episode is a is an English language folk high school in Denmark, very much international as the name suggests, focused in a lot of people from other countries. Um, there there is a strong sense of being a sort of a cultural. A campus bubble that they talk about there um, to the degree that, that she's been involved with projects to break up that bubble, getting people off campus, integrating with, you know, connecting with local families. Um, what's the integration and, you know, what's the mix of, of Danish and non Danish students at the school you attended and what is its interactions with the surrounding community?
1: So there were actually quite a lot of international students at, at my school. And I think the principals have been really good at making connections and networking out in the bigger world, and they had some really good uh, opportunities for for internationals to come by. Uh, We especially had a lot of Japanese students, which was really interesting. And I forgot what else you were talking about. (laughs) So
0: with the international students there, the language of instruction and and community life was was Danish, or was it English, or?
1: Oh, yeah, so uh, generally, we would then accommodate and speak English, uh, for everyone there would be once in a while uh, some things would have to be Danish uh, because it was declared by law uh, so there were some cultural events that we had once a week uh, that the, they, those had to be Danish but that was at my school also partly because um, back in the 100 years ago or something uh, the school I went to was actually at another place it had to be moved. So the entire village or town helped to disassemble the entire school, move it, and then rebuild it. That was a community effort. And because of that history, the principals on the school, they have made this decision that every Wednesday they will invite the entire city or town to come and have dinner with them. Uh Then there will be a cultural event afterwards. So that's a way for them to give back to this community who made the school survive, and yeah. and so those events will be Danish.
0: That that's fascinating. I mean that that's you know as we've been talking about microcolleges here and and thorough college here in Viroqua, um, the relationship between the these schools and the communities in which they are located is is an interesting variable. Um, as you know, Deep Springs College. Where I went is very explicitly separated. It's isolated in out in the desert, and there really there are there are very little kind of connections with the surrounding communities. Here at Thoreau College, we've kind of rooted ourselves right in the community. We run a, a storefront business. There are there are many ways that people can participate in our programs. We're integrated with the, the Driftless Folk School, where there are a mixture of people of different ages doing classes together. Um, so it's interesting to hear that that sounds like there there's there's a sense that of the surrounding community that this this folk high school is. Is a key institution. It's part of part of what a part of the community itself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that is also partly because the the town is super big, so it it is a, a considerable institution. Cool.
0: So um, I know that the different folk high schools have often a different, they have different curricular specialties or, or focus of some kind. What what sort of things were happening there in terms of? In terms of classes or, or activities that were happening in the Folk High School.
1: Right. So this one was very much focused on music and arts. So there was ceramics, which is very popular at the moment. In Denmark. Lots and lots and lots of people go to Folk High Schools to learn about ceramics. And, and then there was a bunch of different types of musical things, which was both Normal music and electronic music. It would be songwriting. It would be playing songs together. Just in general, uh, a great mix between those things. Uh, and then there was um, uh, you could go with the janitor around the school and be taught how to you know be part of the maintenance and upkeep. And that was like a subject you could take. Uh-huh. Uh, what I did was uh, I had electronic music and then I had writing. So it was just a writing class where we would sometimes do some exercises, and then write those out and give each other feedback. And sometimes we would write our own stuff and then share that.
0: Great. So, would you say that that the students, you know, choosing to attend you know this school versus others, or they're they're self-selecting on the basis of their interests uh, in terms of, say, music or ceramics? Is that would that be the case?
1: Yes, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that the main main decision, besides the cost, because uh, the cost varies, the, the main decision will be okay. What types of uh, classes are are being uh, provided at the school?
0: Great. So great. Students are living together. Um, up to eighty or so students are are uh, and are do. Are some of the 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 teachers living there as well?
1: Um, it depends. So the tradition normally both for the after school I mentioned and for folk high school is that the principal lives on site so they will have like their their principal's house which is specifically built for it and then they will live there mm-hmm. and it's not uncommon for teachers to also live either there if there's housing for it so they would have their own homes uh, but it would be sort of on site uh, and many others would live very close by at least uh, Mm -hmm. There's generally a sense of, yes, they are there uh, for work, but do many teachers, my understanding is that it's not just a job, it's more of a lifestyle. Mm
0: -hmm. So shared meals, as well as these shared events, festivals, things like that are part of the culture, correct? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, could you could you talk us through um, what what is a typical day like for a student at the at the folk high school?
1: Yes, so you wake up in the morning uh, around eight, and then you eat your breakfast, and then there is morning assembly, and so everyone goes and gathers in the assembly hall, and we start out by singing a song together, and for the folk high schools we specifically have. A folk high school songbook, which is a collection of uh, various texts that are part of the cultural history. They're usually a bit older, but many of them are are sensed around community. Um, And many of them are also written by Grundvi, which is the guy who who sort of founded the idea of the folk high schools. And he was a prolific Songwriter too. He wrote a bunch of hymns for the for the uh, Danish songbook too. And for yeah. example, something like Beatles "Let It Be." That's like a classic that we would have in there, <laughs> and things much in that same spirit.
0: Right, part of the international songbook for sure. The Beatles.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So we would sing a song, and normally, uh, or so there is a song, and then there is a lecture and the lecture can be by the principal or by a teacher or by a student. There are no rules to what it could be about. I had a Brazilian friend of the school who chose to talk about Warhammer, which is, if you don't know, it's like a video game and also a board game, and it's a very big world. And he's just a nerd, I think it's really interesting. And so he went up there and talked about it. And well, yeah, some people think, okay, why in the world do I have to listen to this? But you get an insight into the interests of other people, and you can get a sense of how this might be important to them. And you can just learn something that you might never have heard about before. Like we had a teacher who talked about the producer of Backstreet Boys, because he was a big fan of the work he did. I would, I would never have known anything <laughs> about that. And now I do, and I think about it sometimes. And so it's a great way to be introduced to things that other people know about. And it would like I I did it a few times too, and you just go up and ask, Hey, can I do can I do the morning assembly on Tuesday? They say, uh, Yeah, we got nothing important to tell. So yeah, sure, go ahead, you grab it. Yeah. So that will be like 30 minutes, 40 minutes or so, and then there will be some messages if anything uh, relevant or important is to be told, and then you go and have classes. Uh, and at my school, we had color coded. So there would be red subjects on Monday and Thursday, and then there would be blue subjects on Tuesday and Friday. And then Wednesday, there would be a a split on the uh, afternoon and then afternoon. And that was like different buckets of, of subjects you could have. And then these days, you would just spend an entire day there. So from, let's say, nine and until three. And you would have like a small coffee break uh, before lunch, then you have lunch for an hour, um, and then a small break around two, for example. Um, And then you would just sit at a workshop and do your ceramics work if that's what you wanted. Or maybe the art teacher would start by introducing a specific artist and their technique, and then you can spend the first hour staying around with that technique and see if it's something you find interesting and then you can let that go and go back to your other work afterwards. And now this, the, the the day, scheduled day, would end at like three or four officially. But it is in no way uncommon that people will stay around because they're so engrossed in what they're doing that they just want to keep going. And sometimes if they're really, really deeply engrossed in it, which is usually if if and they've got a great idea or maybe it's showcase night soon then it's not uncommon that when you go for dinner at 6 people will be missing and you know, people will look around and say hey is Anna missing and someone else from her photo team will say oh yeah Anna's still over there working because she wants to have some pictures ready for her mother's birthday or something so you can still use the workshops and they're open to the students at all times and people will just stay there often, or they will go to some of the common areas and just hang out and play board games, or light a fire at the at the fireplace, or go and make a campfire. Because I, I think almost all folk high schools also has a a, a campsite with a campfire. Mm-hmm. That that. Yeah, th- those are some of the most magical nights I had.
0: It's a fundamental social technology, right? The, 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 the bonfire, the campfire, right? Yes,
1: exactly. <laughs> and then, you know, we would, we would bring our songbooks out there, and some people would bring guitars, and we would sing and sit and sing around the fire. I mean, if you've tried it, you know, you know the type of magic it is. And mm-hmm. if you know the type of magic, just imagine that for a whole semester.
0: Beautiful. Yeah. Um, so one question I've had is, is uh, you know, I think we in, in in developing Thoreau College, we we framed it as a college. We're placing it into the realm of. In, real, in relation to higher education here. Um, and I'm wondering if you could describe, you know, I think you, you described just now very beautifully a social environment, a, an artistic environment, or places where you know, people can get deeply into, into a medium or into a project of some kind. Could you characterize, I mean, is there, is there an intellectual conversation going on in this community, or is there, are there discussions of ideas and, and, and that sort of thing? And so what's the, yes. what is that like?
1: There very much is. So uh, the majority of the subjects on a folk high school can be put into three categories. Sports, there are sports, there are arts and crafts, and then there's the intellectual. Uh, oh, and music, sorry, fourth bucket. Sorry, music people. Uh, <laughs> but the intellectual part is very much a big part of the tradition, uh, and it's something that many of these schools are built upon. Like, back in the day, it would be usually be the principal who held a lecture in the morning. And bunch until, I don't know, Lena can probably correct me on this, but I, I think it's like 20, 30 years ago, most of the principals uh, at the schools were theologians. And so they would be practiced in the Bible and in preaching. And not necessarily because they would drag that into the lectures all the time but they would usually have a lot of stuff to share about life and what life is like, and how to look at it and how to deal with adversity, stuff like that. And now it's become much more of an active and participatory thing. So for example, I had a subject called news where there was no curriculum. It was just uh, everyone shows up in the room and they bring a piece of news that they have encountered throughout the week that they would like to talk about. And this is very interesting when you have a bunch of international students because then you can have someone from Costa Rica talk about how something has happened in her local uh, community. Or you can have an American talk about some new policy that is being implemented in his state. And you get, again, an insight into what's going on in the world. But besides that, you will also have subjects like philosophy or debate clubs. Or not just writing, but uh, like reading deep texts where you would sit and discuss and debate them. Mm-hmm. So that is very much part of the tradition. And there are different schools that are specifically focused on this more intellectual uh, focus.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in any case, conversation about ideas is is. Seems like a key part of this culture. Um, next week we'll be talking with John Verveke, who who you connected us with, um, who is who is a really wide ranging, dynamic thinker, cognitive scientist, um, interested in all kinds of what he calls an eco- ecology of practices um, around meaning, and a big part of that is is dialogue, right? Socratic dialogue, conversation around around big ideas, and it just seem you know what I, what I what I hear when I hear the description you've given to us is is the creation of a context for a certain kind of Conversation, right? The arts are going on. You know, there are meals, are singing, but then there, there's a lot of space there where where conversation has happened, right? Is is being practiced in a way? Does that sound right? Is that could you de- characterize? Is that is that a part of the purpose of the folk high school?
1: Yes, it. it I think it very much is, uh, but it's not necessarily explicit. It's some of those things that the way the school is set up and the way that the teachers and the principals facilitates the the environment and also the spirit of this community that, that, that arrives, many of these things happen naturally. Like the deep conversations will happen spontaneously while you're sitting in the living room and maybe you just finished a game of Uno and then someone shares something about what happened with their brother back in the day and then someone else shares another story of, well, yeah, I have had the same experience. And then suddenly there's this closeness that arises where people start to feel connected and like they understand each other way more and more deeply. It can also be that you sit at a bench at a party, because usually there would be some parties in the weekend, and you have a very heated discussion with your American and Brazilian friend about (laughs) the ethics of I don't know forced equality or yeah, how we should go about fixing the environment and there's space for both both the the really personally close conversations but also the debates of what's going on in the world normally there will also be a debate about things going on at the school and what we can do about it if we're dissatisfied because it's very much encouraged that we be part of the decisions that are made at the school Mm-hmm. or at least a part of asking for things. So if we would like to build a new hut or build shelters at the school, we can ask the school, we would really like this. We thought it would be awesome if this could be a possibility. That they will look at the budget and they will say, okay, well, we can make this happen, but how are you going to build them? And then it, we are part of the creation process of making that happen. So it's also a place where you can experience being politically involved directly in a way where you you see it happening and you're part of the action. Why right, that's there? Thoreau College is a leader in an emergent movement dedicated to the renewal and revitalization of higher education through the creation of new humanly scaled institutions with holistic curricula known as micro colleges. Thoreau College: Higher education for the
0: whole human being. Yeah. Yeah, so that that's another resonance for sure. This this governance self, you know, being being a citizen, being an active participant in in an actual community, certainly seems an important part of <clears throat> part of the, the type of education we're talking about here. Um, I wondered if you could talk about Jonas. Um, I know that when we've talked in the past, you you've done a great job at articulating your understanding of of the explicit kind of mission of the folk high schools. I um, I understand even in the legislation supporting these, the schools, there's discussion of, of certain principles of um, of human development that are, are the goals of of the folk high schools. So I'm thinking about danelsa and, and concepts like this. Could you share some yes. of that? Ooh, well, it's
1: <laughs> been a long time since I, I read the specifics. Um, <laughs> But generally, yes, the the entire approach and mindset of these schools is something that we in Danish call Davidson, which translates into the German term Bildung. Um, And for you who know uh, the ancient Greeks, then maybe if I say eudaimonia, that makes sense to you. Mm -hmm. Human flourishing, yeah. Exactly, human flourishing. The entire idea is to cultivate people into maturity and growth. That's like the basic concept that all these schools are trying to facilitate. And a key point with this is that they don't give you answers. They won't be so arrogant as to tell you that they know better. They will simply instigate you and provoke you to ask questions and take a stance and think for yourself. Very much these schools are also a part of you finding your own sovereignty and finding that you have something to offer the world that you are to be taken seriously as a citizen. Mm.
0: Yeah. So, Jonas, one of the the way that we connected um, was that you you were uh, participating in one of the the Zoom calls of the, the Folk School Alliance, which is a North American organization of folk schools, um, the community of practice, and um, and you were are setting off on uh, on on a quest of some kind. Um, related to these ideas and, and, and perhaps networking institutions with similar ideas. Can you talk a little bit about your the project you're involved with?
1: Oh, yes, I'd love to. <laughs> I'd love to. Is it, I mean, so since I was quite young, I had this sense that I wanted to do something special for the world. I didn't just want to have a nine to five job. And I kept thinking what that should be. And then a year ago, more than a year and a half ago, at the idea that, oh, I'm going to build my own folk school, I'm going to build my own folk high school. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. And, but then I started connecting with John Berweke and then later you and then Julie and other similar people who are doing similar stuff to what I now am hoping to do, which is to try and bring this folk high school model out into the world in a bunch of different, very diverse variations. Because there have throughout the the last decades there have been people from other countries in the world contacting the the Danish um, Association of Folk High Schools and ask them how do you do this? How do we build one for ourselves? And often what in this conversation between the the Danish and internationals they would find out that the the culture and the ground is just different in other countries, which means that you can't just copy and paste the Danish model. Mm You can take the ideas and the spirit and maybe some of the massive structure, and you can use that as scaffolding. But in the end, every country needs to find their own way of how to implement something like this. That's what I want to be part of. I want to figure out how we can take these schools and spread them to the rest of the world, because I think that they can be a crucial institutional instrument in trying to prosper some culture that I think we've lost our connection to. Because many times we overcomplicate things because it's so intellectual, and so far removed, and we're becoming so isolated because of our overly individualistic society that we need some more connection with other people and we need to experience just how simple of these things can be. And for me, one of the most important experiences of both after school and folk high school was a deep sense of connection and a deep sense of meaning. Because in my opinion and from my own experience, meaning is not something you intellectually think yourself to. It is something you experience. And there are science to to back this up. I mean you When you talk with John Wierke, he can tell tell you about flow and how people talk about flow as being some of the most deeply meaningful stuff you can ever do. And in many ways, these schools sort of facilitate low states of flow. And they help you break frame and they help you think for yourself. And they give you a bigger network and new connections. And all those things its just a little part of what they give you. And all that, to me, is some of the things that we need in the world right now to face some of the problems that we are we're facing. Um, so I'm looking at your micro-college movement. I am looking at the things we can do in Denmark. I'm looking at John Barbeke's work, who has some really fantastically deep skills and deep knowledge about what used to be done back in the ancient Greek times, for example, mm-hmm. and the ways they related, the ways that they used technology social technologies and psychological technologies to develop their own sense of sense making part of that is understanding how you bullshit yourself you know cognitive bias stuff like that mm-hmm. and those are the, some of the tools that I think we need to learn how to develop again um, and and I thing that uh, uh, one of my favorite things that John Rebeki has said um, is this question of where do you go for information? Well, you go on the internet. Where do you go for knowledge or education? Or you go to university. Where do you go for wisdom? There, there is no answer. Maybe back in the day, it used to be religious institutions, but we found that they are not really viable anymore. That they're not asking the deep, meaningful questions that we're dealing with, struggling with. And in many ways, I think that. of an answer for that. What I'm hoping to do, looking forward, is to try and merge some of these things and traditions. Because the Danish folk high school has a fantastic system, a fantastic model. But in the later years, there has been a growing debate about what purpose they're really serving. Because as with any institution that survives for a long time, they get a bit stale. And more and more, it seems, that students coming to a folk high school might just have like a semester of chilling out and not doing much. There's not that same fire, not that same passion. There is in many ways, but it's not as extreme as maybe on the micro cottage because you knew you were so fresh to this and you're burning for it. And and I think that there there might be a case for getting some of this invigoration back into it. And I think using some of the tools that John Verbeke has to offer and getting those back into the daily system could really make us level up once again and say, wow, wow, these are the things that we really want to develop.
0: Yeah. This is this is a fascinating question, you know, um, in, in, an institution like the Danish Folk High School which has lasted so long, you know, over 150 years, you know, as as as, a, as an important part of society and it has to go through a sequence of, of rebirth, renewal, rediscovery if it doesn't get stale. I mean, my understanding of what Gruntby was was going for back in the in the, in the in the 19th century and, and and similar people in that era, you know, there was there was a very particular mission towards modernization, right? You had people who were you know, who were uneducated people who were becoming citizens in, in a democratic society for the first time. There was a sense of needing to form a national identity, right? And those are things that are not the case in Denmark anymore. Um, and so, there's been you know several several kind of waves, different different kind of ideas of what the folk school is. But it's proven to be flexible enough to to make those adjustments. Um, and I think what you're describing now is perhaps the the, ne- the next wave, right? This sort of wisdom-oriented institution, you know, in in, in this hyper-technological kind of global period that we're in. Um, I, I'm curious, you know, looking at at the the you know the the practices that John Verveke and others are, are talking about. What what would you bring into the folk high School that wasn't there that when that, that you that you didn't experience that would that would move it in the direction you're talking about?
1: So. Oh. But John Barbeke is working with a guy called Guy Simstock, uh, who is running the Circling Institute. And circling is a method of relating to each other that has the potential to open each other up to an intimacy and a connection that you most likely have not experienced before. I cannot describe it, because I haven't experienced it, but I fully believe the the accounts people have given of this. That's one thing. There is the work uh, that, I I can reference Sarah Ness, who has a bunch of focus on authentic relating, and different ways of trying to deconstruct some of all the barriers we have between ourselves and other people, and fully connecting and fully relating I feel like that, for one, is definitely missing, because people are just sort of allowed to be there, and things do open up. But if you teach these students technologies or techniques to focusly open up, that that is going to bring a whole other kind of magic to the school. So I had something that... So these are like communication
0: skills like modes for, for ways ways to simulating a discussion among a group um ways to facilitate interaction in person is that right
1: yes i mean yes it, it's difficult for me to explain because it mm-hmm. would take a long time sure uh, i can i can just recommend go find Ness on youtube she has some like 5 minute videos of different games that they're playing mm-hmm. one called the noticing game for example and uh, and i think something like that a special way of relating to each other could be incredibly helpful. On top of that, and I would really appreciate if we started to do more with meditation, mm-hmm. that that became more part of what these schools are doing, because the schools are generally meant for engrossment, for really getting lost into something. And Not everyone is interested in self-reflection, but I think it can be very useful for many people to do this. Both meditation and observing yourself and getting some more perspective and having a space where you can build that practice. But also contemplation, that means journaling, asking yourself questions, looking a bit inward, and maybe finding out where you've been going wrong in your life. That will give you so much more orientation and so much more commitment to the things you want to do out in the world. And So uh, as a, a example, one of the subjects that I had was this fantastic teacher who was taught in uh, African dance and drumming and she made a subject called uh, hippie rhythmics or hippie rhythms and that was like in a lack of a better term and some of the things we did was uh, like call and response with movements where someone would be making a rhythm and then someone does like a thriller move and then everyone else copies that thriller move and we're just standing in the circle and copying each other's movements and finding the sense of, of commonality and community in that. Another day we would sit and just have a mirror in front of us and just sit and look at the mirror and look at each other and the teacher would go around and ask some open-ended questions into the air. And, and if, if Already now, you can probably have a sense of, okay, what must that be like, emotionally, to have like, those two types of experiences. Mm-hmm. And, and it's stuff like that, that I feel in some ways is missing, because that was definitely unorthodox to have that subject at my school. Mm-hmm. And I wish that there would be more things like that. I think in some ways we're, we're losing the ability and the skill to relate to people. Especially because of, of social media and how that's creating this other layer of all the context. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's really healthy to just get that away. Just come back to the simplicity and primality of just relating to another person with your guards down.
0: Mm-hmm. And is there I, the the in terms of technology? Is there um there community standards or, or rules about that? As, at the folk school you were a part of. That were not. And do you think I you, think it could be useful? Would that be something you you would you would add into a school that you would start?
1: Yeah, I probably would. I would probably say something like not while you're in the dining room, not while you're at the assembly hall. Maybe even out in the workshops, you would say, Okay, well we're all gonna go and put our phones on the shelves. And we can go there specifically and check it if we are looking for something specific, if we're looking for a tutorial or some paintings for inspiration. Uh, but otherwise, try and limit it as much as possible, because it does change the way we relate to each other. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think that, that that's that is emerging more and more as a question. I think in our in our time, With these, these technologies, especially social media, you know, continual connections to different different streams of information are this is something fundamentally new in human history, right? And so, in any way, like talking about it and, and, and figuring out a way how do, how do we interact consciously um, does seem to be an important mission for anyone going through education and yeah, becoming, so, a, becoming a human being in this period in history.
1: Yeah, so for, so a quick example is like something like the policy on how to treat phones on the folk high schools. That could also be part of a democratic decision mm-hmm. that at the beginning of the semester, the school will sit everyone down at a assembly hall and say, We all need to agree on how we want to use the phones and the the ramifications around that. And then everyone else, like everyone comes to an agreement. Like that I could very much see that happening at many schools. Because then it's not just the principals making a decision, but it's part of a democratic process that also teaches the self governance. It also teaches them to think critically about well, how is my phone use and how do I feel about other people grabbing out their phones, and I'm sitting there feeling awkward. And then I feel like I have to pull out, pull out mine too. And then we're just sitting there staring at TikTok for an hour instead of, like, mm-hmm. you know, breaking through the awkward for 30, 30 seconds.
0: So we're we're getting close to end of our hour here, Jonas. But there was a question um, when I when I've been describing the Danish folk high schools after our conversation earlier this year and and my reading about it when I've describing them to American students, high school students or college students, um, mm-hmm. one thing that that stands out as 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 unique and and you know it's similar to Thoreau College but unusual in certainly in a North American context is the total absence of. Of grades, certification, evaluation—you know, any sort of uh, the the kind of um, kind of formality that people associate with education—and the question that comes up for a person not in a system like that is: is where do you find the motivation? Where? Where? What? What is? Um, how do How do the students, you know, keep you know, moving forward in their work without that sort of f- formality? And maybe as a student of psychology, you have some insight into this as well. Why do people show up to class, for example?
1: Very simple, because they're interested. (laughs) And it can be a struggle. Like at my school, there was not that much pressure for you to create anything. You could just get away with doing basically nothing. And some people chose to do that. But there are also people who are completely free and got really engrossed in it and then ended up spending way more time than in all the subjects. I think it's both a mindset on the school of what's normal and how engaged people feel like they want to be. And it's also about the fact that you go there because you want to and because you're just interested in this thing or you might be curious. And I think it actually in many ways removes some of the, or. By removing the grades, it opens you up to be more motivated because suddenly you're finding intrinsic motivation. So in psychology, there's, there's made this distinction between extrinsic and intrinsic. And extrinsic, obviously grades or rewards or money, like all kinds of different stuff. But those things motivate you because of the reward, because of the external thing. You're not interested in the thing itself. And there are actually studies that show that you, you think less creatively, you're less interested in a task, and you're less playful when you have an extrinsic motivator. But if you, if you are intrinsically motivated, it means that you are in this, this space of playfulness and curiosity that opens you up and makes you think more creatively. And you find a deeper sense of meaning with what you're doing because it's what you want to do. I don't remember the exact quote, but I think it's Aristotle who says something about doing the thing for the sake of the thing in itself. Hmm. Like it's it's not an, a means to an end. It is the end. So that's where you hit flow. That's where you hit engrossment. That is is where the world opens up to you in a grain of sand because you get to just do this, not because anyone forces you to, but because you can. And I think many people have that taken away from them. There's uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson at some point said that he's he's so often had this experience of going into a first or second grade class and everyone is like why why is the sun yellow why is it so sharp why is the sky blue why why do trees do that what what is thunder like they're asking all these questions and they they, they, they can't like they're, they're they're bursting with questions and curiosity and then he goes to some ninth graders and it's like they've had their souls sucked out at them. So. They're not interested, they're not curious. They're just sort of there going through the motions, like they're already graying out. So these schools and not being forced to to perform in any way, because it's not about performance. You can make something that's terribly bad and someone might just laugh at it in a good way and say, man, that was really interesting (laughs) because it's so different. But being allowed to do that, and you're allowed to make mistakes, you're not being punished for it, so you're daring to do more wild stuff. But you're also re-discovering that spark, that joy of finding something.
0: That's beautiful, Jonas. I, I really agree with that. I think that, that's, that really resonates with my experience. Um, and I would say in the environments, the educational environments that I'm involved with trying to, to build here, play is a really important piece. I think my, my favorite statement of that that I go back to is Schiller, a great German poet, Friedrich Schiller, who, who wrote in, in the aesthetic education of, of man that there was, you know, the human being, person is at their most human, their they're most authentically human when they are at play authentically and genuinely at play and I think ideally you know there's a model of, of eudaimonia of human flourishing um that says that you know whatever you're doing your your job your work your career or 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 how you spend your time whatever that is um if you can find a way for it to be play then you're really winning that's 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 a model of of, of really being a successful person so it is so exciting to hear um a, you know a picture of 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 a, of a, of a you know, society-wide educational system, uh, institution like this that, that has some of that in, in deep in its core. So, yeah, and you're, you're, you're really great at expressing it. So thank you so much for that. I think that's a great place to, to end. Um, so thank you for your work and thank you for your time.
1: Thank you.